Stand with me. Another very long verse from the Ten Commandments. Exodus twenty fifteen, You shall not steal. A sermon on four words. Here we go. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time to be together. Lord, it's good to be with brothers and sisters. It's good to see smiling faces. It's good to hear voices uh, worshiping you. And Lord, we pray now that our hearts and our minds are open to your spirit. May your spirit work in us and transform us more into your likeness. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. It's probably one of the harder lessons we have to teach our children. From the moment they receive their first toy, stuffed animal, or whatever else you give them, the teaching begins. And here's the thing. We can try all the methods and tools to teach them this trait, but we never really see how it works until they're with others. We don't know if they have learned to share until their friends are over or vice versa. Because you see, sharing is, is one of those traits and experiences that only can really manifest itself in either a positive or negative way once they or you are around others. That's when we start figuring out if the teaching stuck or not. Because sharing is a very communal thing. It's hard to learn or experience until we have other people around us. And even when we think we have a handle on it, even when we think we have sharing figured out, it has a way of rearing its ugly head from time to time at the opposite. And even at 43, uh, sorry, 44, the struggle for sharing is still very real. And so the text for today in Exodus 20 tells us, you shall not steal. And I'll be honest with you, this one felt a little bit easier than last week did. I mean, that whole adultery thing, it's not fun. There's something about adultery that's just demanding, and it feels heavy. And stealing, I don't know, maybe not so much. Probably because most of us in here don't see ourselves as thieves. None of us think of ourselves uh, or think about anything that we've stolen, the, as I was thinking through the sermon, the only real thing I could remember is when I was eight years old in San Angelo and there were a gang of, you know, eight-year-olds on bikes, and boy were we, you know, scary, who thought one day it would be fun to go down to the C&W store and actually steal something. So we did, I'm admitting to it, we had one guy, you know, be the decoy, while we each took a little piece of bubble gum. And it's funny, because we never ate the bubble gum because we felt so bad. We ended up just throwing it away. And that really is, as I was thinking about this, the only time I could think about what it really means when you read, do not steal. Now, when we do think about it, we might point our fingers at others. And so as we read this four-word commandment, what's going on with it? What's going on with the seventh commandment? So far, the last two have implored us to take care of our neighbor's life, to take care of our neighbor's marriage, and now we see in this commandment to take care of our neighbor's stuff, the neighbor's possessions, as well as anything we possess, are to be viewed and handled differently within this community that's being formed. Now, 
You shall not steal is a principle that we know. It's a principle we've been taught by our parents and others. And yet you and I still struggle to grasp the concept of it. And I use that word grasp because I think it is the right word for us today. Because have you ever noticed we grasp at our stuff and we hold it tightly. We hold all of our stuff real close to us. And I think it comes mainly out of fear. Because there's a fear that we're going to lose everything. There's a fear that the stuff is going to be taken away from us. And the world tells us and whispers to us daily that, that we actually need more stuff. And so that stuff that we're holding on tight to, we'll let go of for a brief second so that we can try to wrap our arms around more stuff. And whatever you or I have is not enough to sustain us through the day and definitely not through our lifetime. We need more. It's not a new concept that you need more. It's a tale as old as time. What does it look like for us to handle our stuff right now? Also, how is it, how is it that stuff is viewed? How do we view stuff within the realm of community when this commandment that we just read calls us to protect our neighbor's stuff as well? The seventh commandment comes at us in a way that is easy to understand, but constantly difficult to apply in our lives. We are called to embody the seventh commandment in everything we do. The seventh commandment calls us to not be possessed by our possessions. And while we might think we have a handle on our stuff, it's only too obvious that we do not. And it happens in the most innocuous of ways. A constant and reoccurring glance at our bank accounts. A mantra that we don't have as much as so-and-so, or the sense that when we get enough, then everything will be different. I mean, we're constantly battling in our hearts the need for enough stuff, and so we tell ourselves, I'm only doing this because I have to have this much, and then everything will be different, and the problem is the line gets moved just a little bit more, and just a little bit more, and so we work an extra year. We work a few more hours. We do a couple more things because it's still not enough. And maybe that's why we need to reflect on the seventh commandment this morning. It's a reminder that we are not what we have, even though the world tells us the exact opposite. The world likes to tell you, you are what you have. Your identity is based on, on what you have. The seventh commandment will tell us something different, that you are not who you are based on what you have. The seventh commandment calls us once again to be our brother and our sister's keeper, to pay attention to their needs above our own, and to not take theirs just because we can. And I want you to hear that, to not take theirs just because we can. When we think about stealing, there's probably a certain image that comes to mind. You know, there's that kind of caricature of a thief, a bank robber, and a ski mask, or for some of us, to bring it to our times, I don't know, it may be a CEO taking billions from people. Remember Enron? However the seventh commandment functions, it must function much like the last two commandments. It makes public that in which we mostly think of as a very private thing, stuff and finances. We think about it in this kind of private way, and yet the seventh commandment makes it very public. We don't like to think that we are thieves, 
But we are reminded by Jesus how easy our hearts can be turned on our stuff. In Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one or love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and wealth. Jesus reminds us how easy it is for stuff to replace God. For God to become on the back burner. The seventh commandment kind of reorients us and reorients our perspective on things. Justin's theme this week at Endeavor was upended. And he was explaining throughout the week how God has this ability, how God throughout life upends our ideas. God surprises us. Surprises us about life. Surprises us about people. Surprises us about things. We all come with a certain perspective on life, and God has a way of reorienting those perspectives, changing how we see things. And I think the seventh commandment is doing just that to the community that Moses is speaking to. It is making stuff and how we treat that stuff very public, a very real thing. It brings the neighbor into it. And how we view our stuff in many ways is our lens of how we view others. It has a way of determining if they or others are deserving of our stuff. It has a way of, when we think about stuff, of writing its own narrative on, about people. How many times have you found yourself in the car or seeing somebody on the street with a sign and, and you determine their story for them? You determine why they're there based on looks and what the sign says. It's interesting that many times the story we write for that person on the corner or on the street with the sign, it's interesting that many times the story that we write for them causes us to hold our things a little more tighter. And it causes us not to let go of them so easy. We write a story about them that says they're not deserving for whatever reason you want to make up. And by the way, folks, unless you know the story, you're just making up the story. I don't know how to tell you that. You may say, well, Russell, I, uh, no. Unless you hear the story, you made up the story. But we have a tendency of doing that because we're afraid of giving up something to somebody. The seventh commandment reorients us around this one idea our stuff is not our stuff. I'm going to repeat it one time. Our stuff is not our stuff. The reformer John Calvin in one of his sermons about possessions in the seventh commandment says this. He says, for unless we come to submit to God's will, to receive peaceably all that he gives us, that is to say, to bear our poverty with patience when he sends it to us, and to be content with our goods which he has put in our hands without abandoning our hearts to them. Reorienting our lives towards the gift of life that is from God and God alone. It is God's gift of all things. And as Calvin says, whether poverty or property, that reminds us that none of this is ours alone. The, the seventh commandment is a check on our hearts. It calls us to look at our possessions and question what they're doing to us. It's never... A great thing, and it's never something we admit to ourselves. We want to, you, I, and the community here at Grapevine, be like the community of Acts 2 and Acts 4. 
The community of Jesus in its infancy, you remember that, as it is embodying the very essence of the seventh commandment, as Luke writes in Acts 2, 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And in Acts 4, as he says it again, he says, now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And get this, no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. That's how we want to think about ourselves. We want to think about ourselves like this. This is who we are. A community that holds loosely to possessions. However, because there's always a however in our modern times, we are reminded immediately that Luke's description of the community of Acts 2 and of Acts 4, we're reminded immediately of another story in Acts 5. And this story is incredibly uncomfortable. In fact, I was uncomfortable... I get uncomfortable. It's just an uncomfortable story to read. There's probably a reason that I've never preached from it in the book of Acts. I've preached a couple times in the book of Acts, and I've skipped it every time. And if you ever want to call me on it, well, now's the time. It's not a story that gives you the warm fuzzies. It's just not. Acts 5, 1 through 11 is Ananias and Sapphira. And it's just not a fun story. And if you don't know how the story goes, well, here's how it goes. There was a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who made a pretty good profit on land sale. They sold some piece of land, and, and what had been happening is this community has been forming in Acts. Uh, individuals have been selling their land and giving their entire profits from the land to the apostles, as Luke tells us in 34 and 35. There was not a needy person among them, for as many has, as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each has had any need. So this was going on. So Ananias and Sapphira had a pretty good land sale, had some money, and decided to hold some of the proceeds back. You know, just in case. Rainy day. When Ananias, came, when Ananias came to Peter with the proceeds, there was a little bit of a problem. And what we gather from Acts 5.8 is that, as Peter says, tell me whether you and your husband sold the land at such and such price. And she said, yes, that was the price. So we gather from verse 8 that there was a little bit of a lie told about how much they gave. So when Ananias showed up to Peter to give the money, lay it at the Peter's feet, you know, Ananias died. So Sapphira comes in and says the same thing to Peter, and Sapphira dies as well. Like I told you, very uncomfortable story. They never mentioned the amount being held back. And here's the thing, Peter in the conversation with both Ananias and Sapphira says, you could have done whatever you wanted with it. In the end, both fall dead at Peter's feet, and I don't recommend giving it as a bedtime story, but here's the thing. We see Ananias and Sapphira get caught up in their stuff. Letting go of everything is hard. Holding loosely to possessions is hard. Putting back for a rainy day makes sense. And even Peter was like, that's fine. Just don't lie about it. But there's something about this idea of stuff and lying that seems to work out really well. It wasn't bad that they held the portion back. It was they led everyone to believe the lie. And maybe it was because they just couldn't let go of everything. They couldn't imagine not getting something out of what was theirs. And giving it all to others in the community just didn't seem fair. 
I don't really know how this story goes, and most commentators are all struggling with the writing as well, but what we see is how easy it is for us to lie to ourselves about our stuff, how easy it is for us to write a narrative about some, someone else so we don't have to let go of it very easily to others. The seventh commandment calls us to a life not controlled by the things of the world, not controlled by our possessions. We don't need to take from others or hold back from others because of some fear or narcissistic idea that, is, that it is ours and we don't have enough so we can't give it. Instead, we're reminded in Acts 2 and Acts 4 that by the power of the Holy Spirit that our lives and everything that we have is a gift from God, that we are a people of abundance. And I know the world categorizes rich and rich people in certain ways, and so do we by our certain levels of stuff, whether it's our bank accounts or the cars we drive or the houses we have. And if we play by those rules, then it's very easy, it's very easy to get caught up in those rules. It's very easy to become afraid that we're not going to have enough, that we're not going to be able to do it all. And yet, the seventh commandment comes in and saves us. It saves us from the power of possessions. Every Sunday, we come to the table of Christ with nothing. We don't provide the meal. It is Christ who is the host. Christ offers for us everything we need, and tells us at the table, you don't need to steal anything, because here it is. Every Sunday, we're reminded that we have nothing if it wasn't for the gift of Christ. It was out of love that Christ offered his life for us, and therefore, as a Christian, it is out of love that we hold loosely to our possessions. It is love that motivates our hearts to open our hands and free ourselves from whatever we have. We are a people of abundance. Even the statistics prove that out. It is out of that abundance that we give. And as Carmen Iim says, and I like what she says here, by taking what's yours, I demonstrate a lack of gratitude and a lack of trust in God to provide for my When we realize life is a gift, and we realize that all of life is a gift, the air we breathe to the clothes we wear, and that the Father is concerned with all of it, then why worry about what we have and who needs it? As Jesus will say in Matthew 6, the Lord has gifted to us so that we can gift to others, and therefore the community is never in need. And maybe that's what the seventh commandment does. It calls us today to pay attention to those in need and pay attention to where our heart's orientation is today. So look at your stuff. Do you find yourself looking at your bank account a lot? Do you find yourself thinking, I need something bigger? Do you find yourself looking at other people and kind of desiring or kind of wondering or writing a narrative if they're worthy of getting any of your things or of you handing out to them. And maybe we need to think just how tightly I've got everything right here. 
And the seventh commandment, I think, opens us up to a whole world of God that says, all of life is a gift, and you are an abundant people, and I am a God of abundance, and I will take care of everybody's need. Why? Because I got a lot of people in here who are slowly reorienting their hearts to opening up their hands to everyone around them. That's a community of good news. That's the community we're trying to be. If you have any needs this morning, if you're struggling with things, if you, if you feel just a struggle with any of this, your heart's struggling, we'll have elders down front, people sitting next to you who will love to talk to you and pray with you. But come now as we stand and as we sing.